everyone. Welcome to Mecca Talks, your access all areas past to the beauty, business and lifestyle experts we call our community. I'm Kate Blythe, the Chief Marketing Officer here at Mecca. And I'm Zara Wong, Head of Content. In today's episode, Mecca Talks Make You with the financial advisor and podcaster, Victoria Devine. So last on the last episode, we had Zoe Foster-Blake talking about making it, and we are now, this is our part two of Mecca Talks Making It, and we have got the amazing Victoria Devine on the show today. And I think what we loved to Victoria Devine was that she answered all our big questions about personal finance, as well as actually telling us, like, what do you actually do when you have a big idea for a company and hopefully you've listened to our first episode well our first part of this episode with go to founder zoe foster blake maybe you're bringing with ideas and inspiration you want to get started this is the episode for you to listen to and what i think is so great about victoria as well is that she didn't make it seem um a scary prospect or even no matter what age you are that you couldn't start now for her it's all about little incremental steps and how to sort of get moving on your kind of financial journey, but at your own pace, which, yeah. you know, none of us want to be lectured to. None of us want to know that we've done something wrong or we haven't done something at all. We all want to know that we can actually make small changes, which could have a big impact later on. So I think that is something that um, I really took away from our conversation with Victoria is that actually it's in your own hands to make positive change, but it doesn't mean the past is any reflection and you should never feel ashamed. The fact that, you know, for years you were spending over your overdraft or your, exactly. you have, you know, it's like, I love that way. She's like, no, yeah. no, cause she was bankrupt. Right. So she, she yeah. actually, you know, that was her story. And I think when you hear that and you hear the richness behind that, you really understand where that desire to sort of move things forward, but not blame yourself comes from. Yeah. And like she studied psychology as well, which I love. So it's such a mindset thing. And she really, like you said, breaks it down. So it makes it super simple, super easy. And you're like, yeah, I can do it too. And I think that's a great thing about this conversation. So I really hope you all love it. Great. Let's get into Victoria. Victoria Devine has a podcast that I've been listening to for a while called She's in the Money. She's a financial advisor by day, has her podcast as well as a book, and I love how she gives really straightforward financial advice. Exactly. She really breaks it down in a way people can understand, even if they're novices. So we've invited Victoria here today because at Mecca, we're really all about empowering our community with knowledge, beauty, or in this case, about personal finances. Victoria... Hello. Hello, friends. (laughs) Lovely to have you here. So first of all, let's start off with you telling us a little bit about what you do and how you got into it in the first place. Oh, accidentally. I got into it accidentally. I was working (laughs) in psychology and I worked in a space called organizational psychology, which is essentially business psych. And I'd go into businesses and talk about culture and engagement. And at that time I was young and, you know, not that good with money. One of the number one things that would always come up was, oh, Victoria, like it's not my engagement. It's not my boss. I just, you know, I'm stressed about money or Mm. finances or my wife's pregnant and we just didn't plan it right now or, you know, mortgage repayments. And I'd always be like, oh, I don't know how to have this conversation. So you were, you were sort of, you were sort of learning on the job in a way. Yes. And I just felt like I didn't have the education to help my clients at 
in that role. And so I started looking further into finance and what that meant. And at that point in time, I realized that I probably should be better at finance myself and kind of one thing led to another. And I ended up falling into financial advice and deciding to do a degree in it. And then, yeah, now we're here. And I guess day by day, as I was saying to you guys before, it's so different. Like sometimes I spend the day in the recording studio and sometimes I spend full days with my financial advice clients. And yeah, it's a fun balance I definitely don't have a good work-life balance at this point in my <laughs> life but we're working on it but you're enjoying yourself oh, along the I way. adore it I adore yeah. it there's nothing I would rather do in fact one of the most frustrating things people can say is like oh you need to take some time off like you need a break and I'm like no like if I go away like this is all I think about <laughs> this is all I want to well. do yeah and I adore it so for me like I know it's not sustainable long-term to be working the hours I do and do what I do, but I'm very grateful that as She's On The Money grows, we've been able to hire a team, Mm. which has taken a lot of pressure off me because for the first 12 months of She's On The Money, it was only me. So I was the social content manager. I was the person on emails. Were you doing that at the same time as your... You yeah, know, existing role and the yeah. business. Yeah. yeah, so I'd started Zella Wealth and never meant to start She's On The Money. So She's On The Money mm. actually started as a workshop that I'd go oh. into corporates because I, that was my bread and butter. I knew how to speak to corporate communities. And so I just decided that we really needed more financial literacy for women yeah. and in a corporate environment, and I don't mean to stereotype here, but in a corporate environment, women are very likely to not put their hands up if they're sitting in a room when talking about finance with their male colleagues and say, oh, like, what do you mean, super? Like, how do I prioritise that? They're not willing to do that. So I found that after I do these workshops just on financial literacy for corporates, women would come up after and be like, hey, Victoria, I didn't want to put my hand up, but (laughs) like, I've just got this quick question. From there, I realised I probably should be doing a female only kind of workshop so that people did feel like they could speak up. And I called that She's on the Money. And one thing led to another. I created a Facebook group and then that started to grow and then from there we have now landed so, yeah, here. Yeah. I think it's so so empowering, isn't it, to actually have a uh, somebody somewhere that our community of younger women can actually go to understand all of this because it can be a bit of a minefield. And you know, I, I imagine you take your own advice, but did you always take your own advice oh, in the financial a, space? That's <laughs> a really big call. I'm more of a do as I say, not as I do kind of gal. But I definitely am financially, I would say not free, but definitely more secure than I have been before. And I make decisions that are in line now with the values that I have and the goals that I have. Whereas before I was just trying to fit in and trying to keep up with what my friends were doing or, you know, my friends at uni. And it's it's really challenging because you're comparing yourself to what you think someone else's situation is, yeah. not what it is. Yeah. And it's so hard to know what other people's situations are. And I love what you do on She's and the Money with the podcast and the community where you really encourage people to talk about like their own personal finances and like their money diaries. Which yeah, which is my favourite part oh. of She's on the and Money. And that's such an interesting... You should, listen, po- you, listen, you should listen to the podcast. Well, it's so yeah, helpful, And I Kate. think what, what is um, so interesting about that is that money is always such a taboo subject. Exactly. And actually talking to talking about money to your friends to colleagues or anything like that is has always been I mean especially in the UK has always been something you do not do so it's yeah. really impolite to talk about money and so it's but there's no reason why not to because then it becomes this sort of dirty secret so when it comes to money being taboo I think that there's this idea that if I said to you hey Zara 
um, let's talk about money, you immediately think I'm asking how much you earn yeah. and what you spend. Like we can have money conversations that are really empowering and exciting and that we can all learn from without me knowing what you earn. That's yeah. actually none of my business. And a lot of what I talk about on my podcast is I can talk to you about money values. Like, hey, Zara, did your parents talk about money growing up? Like, what was that like? Like, what are your values? Do you think that a $4.50 oat latte is a waste of money or would you prefer to make it when you get to work? Like, what are your value sets? And we can actually learn a lot about money without asking personal questions. And that's what she's on the money is trying to bring out. I want people to talk about money. And if you're comfortable to talk about your salary, fantastic. But that's actually nobody else's business. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, Yeah. that's totally fair. Um, And, you know, to your point, everybody has a different view on what they think is acceptable for an oat latte. I've never actually bought an oat latte. Well, you should. It's very Melbourne. uh, (laughs) It's it's very (laughs) Melbourne. It is literally the thing that gets me out of bed every morning. 10 out of 10 aligned to my values. Yeah. (laughs) And it's $4.50? At least. It's Melbourne. Yeah, true, true, true. So, and I think it's really interesting, isn't it, to think about all of those, you know, big token items that you think of as just being all that anyone talks about, how much how much was your house? Yeah. How much was your car? Like what money do you earn? But actually you're totally right. It's about what you're willing to do in your everyday life. And actually if you don't buy that oat latte and you pocket that $4.50, then you can put that into a savings account instead or something along those lines. Does that mean that you're kind of starting to make moves towards something for the future? Exactly. And how exciting is it when we see other people achieving things? I think we forget that most of the time our friends aren't judging us for the decisions we're making, but we feel really awful. Say, for example, I said, oh, guys, let's go out for dinner, you know, on Friday night. I'm really excited about this. And you turned around and said, hey, V, like, yes, would love to catch up with you saving for a house at the moment. So like a fancy dinner going out is not something that I really can justify right now. How about you come over for a couple of wines and we'll order a pizza? Yeah. Like your friends are never going to judge you for making that decision. But also the honesty is is so important as well. And it's so hard to have, right? Like saying that to your friends, you feel awful. You Mm. go, oh my gosh, they will think I'm so lame or they might think that I don't judge you. But like catching up with friends can be easy it can be really fun and how exciting to share a goal like Zara you might go I'm saving for a house and I go oh my god I'm so excited that I can help you by not putting additional financial pressure on you so like let's have more money conversations that are not necessarily hey Zara how much was your car (laughs) how much was your house (laughs) like it's actually not constructive I don't learn anything from that but I do learn from seeing you value your behaviors and I do learn from seeing you go oh I'm saving for a house and I go oh maybe I should get my goals Mm. to together like she's got it together yeah and to talk about it openly because it's crazy to think that women overall are so open you talk about your relationships you talk about your jobs and everything but to talk about money is still like you're yeah. saying before so, like uncomfortable and I think it's you know you also don't want to be a subject of conversation so if you are going to buy some a house because you've saved up for it you don't want people to then be judging you of the fact that oh she's obviously got a lot of money to buy that house or well that's not a very good house and I think that's the sort of that's the nervousness you yeah. get probably as a, definitely as a woman I think guys I don't know maybe I'm wrong but don't care as much about what people think in those situations but I definitely have seen that with my friends that it's this really uncomfortable moment of are they judging me on this purchase this really big purchase that I'm about to make I agree but I also think that wealth and good financial habits are invisible let's use you as an example again Zara I'm sorry but if you bought a house people aren't going oh my god I wonder how long she saved for 
they're just seeing that you bought a yes. house and they're probably so they're just going, I wonder what that yeah. was. But they didn't see like them the, maybe. The work or the fact. Exactly. They just see the result. Yeah, they, they don't know that your partner and you might have been saving for the last 10, 11 years and you finally got the deposit together and you've really worked on your budget to be able to afford the mortgage repayments. Like people don't see that. That's not sexy. No one wants to look at that. But they say, oh, she's bought in a nice area. Like, yes, because yeah. she's worked really hard. Yeah. And I think so often social media gets in the way because you see people putting up their sold stickers and you go, oh, I'm never going to achieve that. And it's like, well, actually you can. What you didn't see was that they've been working on that yeah. goal for 10 years and yeah. finally they've achieved it you can't expect especially as a millennial to go you know what I'd love to start saving for a house and then a year or two years later be able to afford that asset yeah. it's, it's so interesting happen. on the social side because actually that is where people it's not a, not even real life but you know there'll be pictures of the holiday pictures of this and it might not even be your own exactly. holiday and it might not even be your own car it might just be standing next to the Ferrari um, so- but social media is just like someone's highlight reel yeah. you don't see what's going on behind True. the scenes exactly yeah. it's like real wealth and debt are invisible so how do you know that that person that had that Ferrari isn't in mountains of debt or how do you know that that holiday wasn't funded entirely on a credit card like I think we need to look at our own situations go cool like a holiday would be really lovely but do I want ten thousand dollars worth of debt so that I can say I was in the Maldives and get some really cute pictures like that's not something that I think is exciting but too many times we put the pressure on ourselves and go oh all our friends have gone on a holiday and all our family does X. Like you don't see debt, but you also don't see wealth. And I think that's what makes it so hard because you go, oh, well, they'll never know. And also, how do you encourage people to, to, you know, to work with a financial advisor if they've never... It, they've never done that before. The parents probably never did that either. So how how do you change the conversation about what a financial advisor does for you and also why it's important for you, especially if you are in debt, right? Because it's not just about mon- managing a pot of money you may have inherited and saying, right, okay, so I would divide it into these places and put it into shares here or invest here in an ISA, et cetera, et cetera. But how do you encourage people to actually just for day-to-day life sort of work with a financial advisor I think that's something that you know and it's hard and the biggest question I get is like when should I see an advisor what does that actually look like and to be brutally honest lots of financial advisors are going to hate me for saying this I don't believe everybody needs an advisor I think that a lot of it can be done on your own and it's all about financial literacy and there's a very big difference in my opinion between financial literacy and financial advice. Like if you want financial literacy, that's about being able to budget and save and know what cash flow looks like and have positive money conversations with your family and your partner. Whereas financial advice is, you know, strategic advice. It is investment decisions. It is me talking to small businesses about what their cash flow looks like and at what time they're actually able to take a salary from the income that they've been generating. And for me, yes, absolutely, financial advice is something that I wish everybody could could access. But the problem with financial advice is it's really expensive. I love how honest you are to say that not everyone needs a financial advice. Yeah. I don't I think you do. I think that's a really great way of looking at it. Sometimes, you know what, it's 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 help. It helps people to understand when they should, you know, go into that world if they've never gone before. Because otherwise, they might never go into it. So actually you're right like if there is a you have debt how do you want to work your way out of that or you've got and you've got some money that you want to invest or you want to save to buy a house if you have like tangible reasons actually it's such a 
brilliant. Absolutely. Um, and like I wish brilliant. everybody could access it. But financial advice in Australia, I'm pretty sure from the top of my head, the average statement of advice, which is the advice document a financial advisor would give you if you went and saw them to facilitate advice is $3,400. And that's a really big hurdle. And most of the millennials and young people that I talk to say, hey, Victoria, like I finally saved my first $5,000. How do I invest it? And I go, Ah, like I wish as an advisor, I could just say, hey, you know, here are two really great ETFs, go and purchase those. Mm. But for me to do my job and be compliant and tick all the boxes and cover all the hurdles, it's a massive undertaking and a really large piece of work for me Mm. that it will cost you thousands of dollars. And I genuinely feel like it's not fair for me to then say, oh, great, Zara, like you've saved your first $5,000. It's going to cost you three and a half thousand dollars to see me. So like we're going backwards like it just doesn't never thought of it like that yeah and so a lot of what she's on the money is for me is making advice more accessible like making financial literacy accessible I'm not advising you but I will give you all the tools and resources that you can do that you can do for yourself so like on my website you can download a free budget tool that I've done you can download a whole heap of guides on savings I've got savings hacks I've got literally podcasts giving away every single piece of information that I have on super and what investing is I don't tell you what to invest in Mm -hmm. because that would mean that I'm giving you personal advice and I legally can't do (laughs) that but for me it's like well if I give you the tools and resources you can build that yourself you can go and do that. And I guess that's where I've come from over the last two years going, people deserve this. Like, and I think mm. that do good, be good. I'm really lucky that behind me is a wealth business. So like, that's where I generate most of my income, right? Like that's how I pay my bills. And then the she's on the money side of things I do because I'm so wildly passionate about empowering people to have the tools that I genuinely believe should have been taught in school. Yeah. And that's why I get to, I guess you could say, gifted away whereas a lot of financial advisors would be like oh I can't give my budget tool away because like that's a really big piece of what I sell and I'd be like oh okay like you're right but I just feel like if I give more I'll probably in the long term get more in return but it's such a brilliant point actually this is the kind of stuff that we as young people should be taught and actually the idea of just getting your whatever money you've made and burning through it so you're, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and not having a buffer there. It's just something that's, that's what you do when you're young, right? But it's my son who is 13, nearly 14, um, said to me, I don't want any presents for my birth, for his 14th birthday. He actually would like us to help him invest in some shares. It's literally my favourite thing ever. Like So responsible. Oh, that's so smart. Can you imagine if we did that? Like, yeah. But the impact of that long term, like I don't think people conceptualise the impact that investing young can have, right? Yeah. And I use this example on my podcast all the time because I try to keep my examples consistent. So hopefully like you'd be able to pick them up and regurgitate them at breakfast with your girlfriends. But if you started at the age of 20, investing and you were like you know what I can afford $500 a month that's a really big undertaking for someone who's 20 but like it's a it's a nice amount of money to start considering if you invested $500 a month by the time you retired you'd have an investment portfolio of 1.2 million dollars yeah and a 1.2 million dollar investment portfolio gives you a passive income with a return of about seven and a half percent, just for those people following along being like, what is she talking about? It'll give you a passive income of about $60,000 a year. Amazing. Like 60 grand a year 
that you don't have to go to work for. Yeah. Like obviously then on top of that, we've got our super, we've got other investments and over time, hopefully you could increase that $500. But the important thing about that example is that that's when you're 20. If you were 45 and wanted to do the same thing and you've finally gotten serious about money, you have to invest $5,500 a month to achieve the same goal. Yeah, that's if you blows my mind. If yeah. you get if you get to 45. Damn. Yeah, literally. But if you get to 45 and you've decided that that's what you want to do, great. Now we know you need $5,500 a month. Yeah. Put yeah. that to the side. Where's that coming from? You already have a lifestyle. You probably have a mortgage. You've probably got some kids that you're paying school fees for. You've probably got car loans. You've probably got your money tied up in other things. So then to create the financial freedom that I believe you deserve, like that's too much of a hurdle or too much of yeah. a lifestyle shift to make to make that happen. Mm. Whereas if you did $500 love that a tip. month, so good. like when you were young, that's $500 that you'd have to invest at 45. Like you don't change that amount yeah. to achieve the same goal. Would you invest that in something or would you just put it into savings? No. So if you put it into savings over the long term, if you started at 20 and at 65 had only been saving that, you'd only have $240,000. If you yeah. invest yeah. it into shares, yeah. you will make literally a million dollars by putting it in somewhere else. Okay. And so then you could just put it in there. Freddie starts it. at 14. Exactly. He's so have that is a lot a of hourglass pallets, guys. Like that <laughs> is many. <laughs> yeah, that's it. He's definitely gonna not gonna afford that, but at least it's a good start. Yeah, you can I start s- and maybe build up to that. But I think that's a brilliant yeah. tip as well for the younger listeners today. Yeah. I was lucky that my mum gave me like a you know a share account when I turned eighteen, and so I put money in there. And you could just leave it, set it, and forget. And every now and then I look at it, and I'm like, oh, it's oh, doing that's okay, doing well. Yeah, and it's just so so good to get that from the beginning. And I love how when you talk on your podcast and how you do with clients, you talk about so much about mindset as well and having the yeah. right approach and it's just not necessarily about the numbers. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so when it comes to money, like it's the one thing that makes the world go round, right? Like everybody deals with it, but nobody talks about it, but it literally shapes the way that you were brought up. It shapes your thoughts, your values, your beliefs, even the behaviours that you have. If you grow up in a family where money was really tight and it was always really hard to ask, like you might get a little pit in the bottom of your stomach every time that I bring up money you might go oh I really like you avoid that situation sticky topic exactly Mm. whereas if you grew up and money was in abundance and it was all fine like you might be really frivolous as a teenager and as a someone in their early 20s because you're not in a situation where you're like money comes goes it's all good like I've got no apprehension of this topic so to not understand that part of financial literacy it baffles me. And on my podcast, as you would know, Zara, I talk about money stories a lot and what your money story is, because I genuinely believe if you can't understand how you think about money and why you think about money, how are you going to change that? How are you all of a sudden going to be good at budgeting if it's made you feel terrible for the last Mm. 30 years? How is that going to happen? So we need to know where we've come from to know where we're going to. And if you want to create a plan, like why would you not know both of those points on a map? So for me, understanding people's thoughts and beliefs around money is so essential to creating sustainable change because so many of us have sat down historically and said, I'm going to be so good at budgeting. New year, new me, I'm going to have a budget. (laughs) And we've written this budget down and then not stuck to it because you've just Googled budget template (laughs) and you've tried to adhere to somebody else's values and someone else's beliefs where you might love going out for breakfast with your girlfriends. And like, for me... 
I love coffee. Like I could make it at home. You know what? I've even got free coffee. We live in Melbourne. I've got free coffee in my (laughs) office. Like I have no excuse. But it's different, isn't it? It's the the experience of it. And how you value it. Yeah, but also it's those little things, those little beautiful moments in life that make you feel great. So actually you don't want to hold back from that coffee. Exactly. And so for me, that's my value. That's something that I want to keep in my routine because it's not about the destination. It's also about the journey. So for me, if you took my coffee off me, I'd just be like, oh, okay, I genuinely feel like I'm missing out. Yeah. Whereas you could say, hey, Victoria, you know, maybe bring down your fashion budget a little bit and like save on going out. Don't go out for dinners as much. And I'd be like, oh, okay, like I'm happy to sacrifice that because I don't feel like every day I'm being sacrificing, right? But someone else might go, oh, I don't even care about coffee. I don't even drink it. I just get a coffee because my whole team walks down to the cafe and I just pick one up with them. Like they could probably cut that out and not have it impact how they feel. Yeah. So our budgets genuinely need to be a reflection of how we want to spend money, not how we expect to have money spent. Yeah. Right. And like, Zara, I know you're a bit of a foodie, but if I had turned around and <laughs> she said. She is such a foodie. She posts pictures the whole time of donuts cronuts. I no, to like allocate my funds. No, and, and I am so for that. But if I turned around to you and said, all right, $100 a week, entire grocery bill for you and your partner, you'd be like, oh, like that's not fun. That's not fair. I don't like that. It would be really hard to stick to. So say I said to someone, I'll use a someone instead of a Zara. Yeah. So say I said to somebody that they had to then spend $100 on groceries, but they got their joy from eating out. And like, I'm not just talking groceries, I'm talking restaurants, brunches, like all of their groceries, $100 a week. That's all that they could spend. Like if money, if food is what sparks their joy, like that's not going to be the area that I really want them to cut back. Like there could be other areas we look at. I think it's really different for everybody because I've got people in my She's on the Money community that literally only spend like $50 a week to feed a family of four because they do all of this meal prepping and like frozen meals and buy in bulk and like they budget it out. I couldn't do that. I definitely not, can't do that. I have four children I and they eat me out of house and home. Exactly. Especially but like, the, like the, my son and his, when his mates are over I mean they can eat three times the volume of an adult male it's insane and it just and they want they just need bulk so you I could never stick to that budget but that's why it's unrealistic unrealistic. right that's why if I went and said that's why if I went and said well actually the average person spends 150 dollars on groceries that's what you should be spending on groceries you'd be like Victoria that doesn't work for me I don't want to do that unique to the situation isn't it exactly and I think that's why whenever I look at people's budgets they'll often go oh I'm so embarrassed sorry don't look at you know that part and I'll be like I actually couldn't care less like are you happy with that though like have we looked at our spending and are you saying yep cool like that is what it is those are things I can't change what can I change Mm. how can I have an impact long term so for me it's just genuinely about understanding your values and your beliefs and how you feel about it and what your financial goals are so that we can create the life that you want in the short term but also make sure that future us is looked after and cared for in the future and so it's an interesting conundrum because so many people will say well what's the right budget well for me a budget isn't actually about sticking to certain things it's actually about how much money do I have coming into my account how much money do I have going out of my account and what does that actually look like is that Is that something that makes me comfortable? Am I all right with that? Am I spending so much money on takeaway coffees and I just didn't realise? It's all about knowing what we're spending, not feeling guilty about it. Mm. Like, let's just see it. 
and understand it. Over the last year, over I mean, it's longer than that now, nearly a year and a half, obviously global pandemic has oh absolutely gosh, yes. completely blown up everybody's worlds in terms of their their jobs, their plans, their, what they would spend their money on, there's probably their savings, where they get their joy. Because it, you know, especially in Melbourne, it's everyone's in lockdown for so long. And, and actually, um, the sort of psychological impact on people around that has probably been, I mean, it's huge, right? So how do you think that, um, sort of behaviors have shifted financially over that time with, especially with the younger generation? So I think that it's it's chucked a lot of people into gear. It's made the emergency fund look very exciting because so many people I think have lived week to week and this is just my experience from my community but so many people have always just lived week to week and then they were thrown into lockdown and they're like well I can't work now I don't have a week's worth of income and it was crazy to think that there were so many people experiencing such significant financial distress because they were living week to week and they didn't have emergency funds but often these were the people that we just didn't expect to have been living week to week and you know it's been really awful for so many people but I think it's really taught us the value of money and what money brings and money brings freedom even if you are stuck and choice brings freedom it brings choice and even if you are stuck at home and you can't leave the house because we're in lockdown like being in that situation and being stressed about money versus being in that situation and being like, well, it sucks that I have to stay home, but I can pay my bills. I can keep electricity on. I can, you know, pay my rent. Like that's the difference between anxiety and not being anxious about money. So I think it's taught a lot of people to feel confident when it comes to making money decisions. It's also taught a lot of people that maybe they need to kick their butts into gear and actually start creating a budget or creating a plan or start caring. But on the flip side of that, I also think a lot of people have been taught to save during this period. And, you know, it might not be the majority, but if we aren't allowed to go out for dinner, we aren't allowed to go out for breakfast. I can't go to Chadston on the weekend. Mm-hmm. A lot of us have been put in a situation where we probably feel a little bit guilty, but we've never saved more in our lives because yep. we've had all of those discretionary spending areas, you know, cut off. Mm. So I think that it's taught a lot of people a lot about money. But the one learning that I've got is that for me as a financial advisor and as someone who clearly has a platform when it comes to money, like I just want to jump up and down about people having an emergency fund and having enough yeah, money yeah. set aside. Rainy day account. Yeah, and that's always been something that's a priority to me, but I didn't realise I'd have to jump up and down as aggressively about it because we don't know when we're going into another lockdown. Like especially people in creative industries, like their work, their clients had just been cut overnight. And I think that it's unfair to not look after future us. It is unfair of us to not care about our own financial futures. And whether that is a $500 emergency fund or a $5,000 emergency fund, I know that that would make you feel more comfortable. And to me, that's what the priority is. Yeah. I think that's a really good advice. Emergency. So a few tips to if we could kind of bring oh, that in together. Emergency so fund. <laughs> would you say one of the things that you would advise as well is not to get anxious about the sort of process around this. Yeah. Actually, it's to try and look at it a little bit more openly and say, well, do you know what? Is there something I want to say for? Is there something I'm concerned about? Where do I want to get that advice? What is it that I don't understand? And maybe like bucket it into those so it's more manageable for people. And then think about having this emergency fund. And if you are young and you can afford to start investing from a young age to do that on an even a small amount, 
on a monthly basis. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think the only thing I would add to that is don't judge past you for the decisions you made. Mm. When we talk about money stories, like our money stories are actually yeah, not really our choice. Yeah. Like your money story was the things that surrounded you. It wasn't actually your decision to, you know, feel anxious about money or spend it frivolously. But what we need to do is just put it aside. If you're in a whole heap of personal debt, great. It is what it is. Let's just create a plan to get you out of that. Mm. Let's not go, oh, my God, I'm so silly. I wish I didn't do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. It doesn't serve you. It doesn't help you. Mm. Let's just put the judgment aside, pull our heads out of the sand and go, it is what it is. Do I want to change it? Yes. Mm. Because you don't have any control of what your money story was, but you absolutely can create what you want it to be. And that's where we should be focusing our energy, not on feeling bad that we're in a bad situation. Let's create a plan so that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel while not feeling awful or guilty or like we've done the wrong thing. Exactly. Because these are the tools that we weren't provided in school. How were you supposed to know? Yeah. Like I couldn't do Zara's job because I've never trained in it. I don't understand it. Arguably I'm not as creative, but I could never do that. So why do people put the pressure on themselves to expect to be able to do the job of a financial advisor? Yeah. Like why would you know that? Where did you learn that skill? Like it's not something that we just woke up and we're good at budgeting. Like, yeah. It's like learning I've another never language. Been great about you saying. No, but it's like learning a language. <laughs> like you know other languages exist. You might, you know, know how to read the menu down at Entrecot, but you might not be able to speak fluent French. So why would money's exactly the same? You've been using it for the, your entire life. You understand how it works semantically. You know it's a language. You just don't know how to speak it yet. And I guess She's on the Money is all about helping you understand that language and learn that language yeah. without feeling like you're behind or missing something. And I'd imagine too that we'd have you'd have a lot of clients or people in your community who talk to you about like big life decisions, like whether they're buying a house or changing jobs. But for someone who say would like want to start a business, what are the tips you would give to them? Same as buying a house <laughs> or wanting to invest, create a plan make a plan, work out what it is. When it comes to business, I think that people put a lot of pressure on themselves to like aggressively save and they think they have to invest massive amounts, Mm. but it doesn't actually cost you anything to do a business plan. doesn't cost you anything to do the research in your area or, you know, jump on and work out what suppliers you're going to get your product from. It doesn't cost you any money to work out what kind of branding or vibe you want. Like the amount of Pinterest things that are out there that can help you understand that, like get your idea to a space where you can go, oh my gosh, I can see it, I can feel it, I just need to invest and I need to work out what that's going to cost. I think that too many people say, one day when I've got more money, I'll start a business. Yeah, Like start doing the research for that business now, do it today because we live in 2021 now and there's so many tools and resources out there to help us do that. Mm. It's not the 1950s where we couldn't go and do the research and understand it and, you know, learn about budgeting or learn about branding like you can go and do that all now and work out exactly what you want to do if you want to be a business owner but I think the important thing when it comes to business is knowing that it's actually not it's not about you know having uh, intelligence it's not actually about having the tools and resources or the network it's about having grit and tenacity and actually wanting to put in the work because it is hard mm. it's not easy to start a business yeah. especially if you're a full-time employee and you come home from work and you're exhausted yeah because Kate like we've interviewed so many amazing founders on this podcast our first yeah. episode we had Joe 
And so I can imagine so many who are listening to these episodes and be like, wow, how amazing did it start, Mac? Or how do you, how do you exactly start? Exactly, like yeah. how do you, you start? But start. I think they're great. Yeah, yeah they're, that's just great. But like I think it's tips. yeah, and I think it's so important to sort of to your point, be able to craft what your idea is before you worry about those pieces. Because actually, you know, there's always people who want to invest as well. It doesn't all have to come from yourself. And I've worked with lots of founders over the years, and they've they've they they've started their businesses by getting actual investments from other people, family members, or they believed in the idea. The idea yeah. was so good, and now you know they're some of the biggest businesses in the world. Yeah, and those are phenomenal success stories. Um, I think it's, I think onto your point, like just start, like it is so important to just begin, but also it'll teach you whether you want to do it. Like if you keep talking about doing a business and then it just never happens, like you can't just have a never happens attitude once you have the business, like you'll be working a lot. And if you're not into it or you're not committed, like it's not going to be successful. Like grit is the number one like success factor, I believe of business owners. Like they just get up every time they get knocked down and they just carry on and they just deal with what is thrown at them. And that is what we want. Like we want you to do the research because you might find out you don't even like that business idea or it might completely evolve. Better to know sooner than later. (laughs) Exactly. It might completely evolve or you might find out that somebody else is doing it and you want to pivot and do something different. But yeah, I think the the key tip there is just start, start with Google, start looking things up. Create a Pinterest board. And if you could give advice as well, because I think there is a natural, um, you know, I I know over the years we've had this weird sort of gender inequality issue where actually we have, in past generations, females have looked to males to manage the finances for the family or manage the budgets or whatever. And that is shifting and it's changing. Um, and but if you're still in a in that headspace where you think, well, actually, do you know what my husband will deal with that, my boyfriend will deal with that? How do, how what piece of advice would you give to girls and women who want to do it themselves? Am I allowed to be morbid on this podcast? Yeah, I'm go. going to yeah. be. Okay, so women live longer than men. So on average, you're going to end up having to manage the finances at some point, and that point. I see so many women overwhelmed and insecure and not sure how to deal with it. I don't want it to be a morbid point, but like at some point in your life, putting the finances in your name is going to happen. Whether you go through a divorce because one in one in two marriages unfortunately dissolve, like you're going to need to know how to do this stuff. I'm not saying you need to do it. Like you can absolutely give it to your boyfriend, but you need to know how to do it. Yeah. You don't need to know every month how to pay the bill, you might go, you know what, that's an admin task I want my partner to run. Yeah. Fab. Do you yeah, know you how to pay with the bill? Gas yeah. bill the water exactly. Bill or, do you yeah. know how to pay yeah. a bill? Do you know what BPay is? Do you know how your internet banking works? Do yeah. you know what's coming in? Do you just know starting with the small stuff and yeah. building up? Exactly. Nice. And just knowing. Like I'm not saying that you have to do it all the time because often people say to me, Oh but Victoria, like my partner runs that. I'm not going to take it off him. No, but you're going to learn. You're going to learn how to do those things. So if ever you're in the situation where your boyfriend's like, you know what, I can't can't do that, got too much on my plate. You go, no worries, I've got it, I'll just get it done. I want you to know how much is in your bank account. Mm-hmm. I want you to know if you're in any debt and what that means and, you know, how can you help yourself? We're not saying take it all over and take control of it. I just want you to be empowered to know how to do it. Though. And when you are in a in a couple, um, do you, what do you think about sort of um, – 
joint bank accounts or single bank accounts? Or do you think that actually everyone should have a, their own bank account and then maybe a pot that you put into? Like, what is the best way of keeping that independence? Ah, such a hard question. There's no right or wrong here. I have clients who are married and have been for 20 plus years and still keep completely separate banking. And one will go out for breakfast and they'll be like, oh, you owe me 20 bucks. Like, that is fine. Whereas I talk on my podcast about me a lot, my partner and I, we completely share finances. There's not his and hers, there is ours. But in saying that for me, I still have an account. I have my own emergency account. So if ever I don't want to be in a situation, a relationship, a place, a location, I can just leave that. And knowing that that's there for me to access and nobody else can touch, that's really empowering. Mm. But in my relationship, I just deal with money together. But that is the way it works for me. It might not be the way it works for you, but I do think that couples should be having conversations about money and understanding yeah, and the what dynamics that means. around money yeah, as well. It's not necessarily yeah. about, okay, well, you need to have a joint bank account. If that doesn't work for you, that's fine. But what I want you to know is how your partner thinks about money, why they make the money decisions that they make. Like the biggest thing we fight about in relationships yeah. is money. Yeah. So understanding your partner's money story is essential for you to go, whenever he's stressed he goes online and buys a whole heap of golf stuff like that's <laughs> why it makes sense now whereas if you've got conflicting money stories and one of you came from a, a family where you had abundance and one of you was really frugal you might always argue about the electricity bill and turning off lights and you just can't seem to comprehend why your partner cares about the little things but that's actually ingrained because that's how they grew up. Mm. That makes them anxious. Yeah. And for you to deeply understand where your partner has come from and why they might do that, one, you can support them better in your relationship, but two, money's going to make so much more yeah. sense. I feel like so much of what you're saying is just about like communicating and yes. being open about it. <laughs> Surprise. <Right>? Relationships <laughs> like, are about yeah. communication. Just talking about it. And like it blows my mind. I know we talked about this before we started recording about that article about how millennial women are so much more likely to defer to their partners. Like I still just can't get over that because the Gen Xs and boomers are so much more financially independent than yeah. the millennial women. Well, That's see, why your podcast is so see, important. I know, but it seems crazy to me that in a time where we have access to more tools and resources than ever we're not helping ourselves yeah, still? it's a bit scary yeah it's terrifying yeah. well there's do you know what everybody needs to get on that yeah. kind of independence and their money and ha have control over their finances and hopefully listening to this today will help them sort of have awareness of that as well yeah and just yeah. like have the confidence to get started because I think yeah. that's the other thing I you were so. saying I think just, that's a really you know yeah. sometimes it's just go doing it and Whether actually thinking ah okay I actually need to change this or I could do things differently and if that is the thing that you fight with with your partner yeah that is the thing that annoys you will say well actually I'm taking control of that yeah so I'm gonna I'm gonna start I'll save I'm gonna do this and you know we'll we'll separate things in this way and don't just sit there and let it bubble yeah no exactly and that's why not every single relationship relationship is going to be the same and a joint account might be something that you never want but it also might be something that really empowers you in a relationship because you want to join things but I also think it's okay to go backwards as well like if you go get a joint account and it's just yeah. not working and you, you don't like it feel free to get rid of it nothing is is stuck in stone right yeah. like we can't we can't put ourselves in a position where once you've done it you're you can't go backwards and I think that that's really important like test it try it see what happens yeah if you've never had a joint account before probably don't go and completely integrate Merge. all of your finances <laughs> I don't but maybe start account. with one joint account <laughs> exactly and we're all really different and I think that that's what's cool 
Like I get to learn about you and why that might work. And you go, oh, I do it this way. Like, cool. There's yeah. no right or wrong when exactly. it comes to money. And I think that's for so long we've been fed, oh, well, that's a bad money habit. Like, okay, thank <laughs> yeah, you. You can't I shame mean, people into No, stuff. but I mean, if it's gambling, yeah, like that's, terrible yeah. money habit. <laughs> yeah. But if you're saying that that's, you know, that's the way that you thrive, fantastic. But learning about my money story might might give you a couple of ideas and learning about Zara's money story might go, oh, actually, we should try well, that. I love like, the fact that Zara's got a finance degree. So actually, oh, she can oh. be our resident financial advisor. So God, if you want to come and work for She's on the Money, you just let me know. It's very tempting. We have, my partner and I have like one hour like life admin what, like a meeting yeah and we go through like, like every week not every week maybe, maybe we do it like once a month we sort of check in and be like okay how, this is how much we saved okay maybe we should change this around like it's really good just Ooh, to like she's the og on the that is pretty empowering i love that <laughs> i love her yeah that's i mean that's super organized as well and it's quite right. structured don't he tell mecca don't tell mecca i'm coming for you <laughs> yeah, <brilliant. laughs> sorry joe <Love> <laughs> i feel like i learned so much from you yeah i loved it and thank you, you so much for your time okay. and thank for the you. person who is so busy and spends all your hours doing your <laughs> you're running a business being that's a Jess that's not me okay. that is Jess take the she, credit oh yeah totally <laughs> I was just so flexible Jess was like um yep your day's changed you're gonna be here at this time and I was like cool this was a fun <laughs> one <you> <laughs> but also the fact that you also have your own amazing podcast which is super successful and it's you, like yeah. the top finance podcast in Australia yeah it's like which yeah. is Pretty phenomenal crazy. so hats off to you so thank, thank you, you for coming in and sharing your wisdom and thank being part you. of the Mecca family we are thrilled to have you and we think we want you to come back again so. oh my gosh I'll be back so. like I've never left your stores like as a a long lasting level three like you can't keep me away <laughs> <laughs> tell you allocate your funds yeah thank you <laughs> it's in line with my values <laughs> love that thank you so much Victoria thanks thank for having you. me so guys good. thank you for listening to this episode of Mecca Talks if you liked what you heard, follow us on your favourite podcast app and you'll be notified as soon as our next episode becomes available. Don't forget to rate, review and share this episode with your friends. To stay up to date on what's going on in the Mechaverse, find us on Instagram at at Mechabeauty or join the conversation in our Mecha Chit Chat Facebook group. You've been listening to Mecha Talks. Thank you for joining us. And I'm on the roll.